Great. Good evening. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm one of the curates here, if you don't know me. Uh, and first ever time of preaching on Trinity Sunday. So joy is one of my favorite doctrines. But um, yeah, it's going to be good. So I wonder, have you had... Have you ever had one of those moments when you've had like the rug pulled out from under your feet? You know, like where some, something where you had a really clear set of expectations about how something was going to go and it ended up going in a totally different direction. Well, whatever it is, I bet you it's not as spectacular as what happened to a man called Guy Goma. Now, Guy Goma was a man who a few years ago turned up at the BBC for what he thought was a job interview. But half an hour later, he found himself live on the BBC News Channel uh, being asked questions about a subject he knew nothing about. So I'd just love us to watch this clip very briefly as we begin. and the growth of music online. Well, Guy Cuny is the editor of the technology website uh, News Wireless. Hello, good morning to you. Good morning. Were you surprised by this uh, verdict today? I'm very surprised to see this verdict to, to come on me because I was not expecting that. When I came, uh, they told me something else and I'm coming. You got an interview there, so it's a big surprise anyway. A big surprise. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yeah. Um, with regards to uh, the cost that's in, in, involved, um, do you think uh, now more people will be downloading online? Uh, actually, if you can go everywhere, you're going you're to see a lot of people downloading to the internet and the website, everything they want. But I think uh, it's, it's much better for the development and uh, to improve people what uh, they want and to get uh, on the easy way and so fast uh, the things they're looking for. This does really seem to be the way the music industry is progressing now, that people want to go onto the website and download music. Exactly. You can go everywhere on the cyber cafe and you can check. You can go easy. It's going to be very easy way for everyone to get something to the internet. Thank you, Thanks very much indeed. I think we can now also speak to... Uh I think Mr. Goma deserves a round of applause there. I think we should... I have to say, that was hands down a better job than I would have done if I was thrust into that situation. But can you imagine how he felt in that moment? I will never forget the look on his face when it says the penny drops. Uh, he thought he was there to interview for a job about data protection, and he found himself talking about online music streaming. Now... Maybe your moment of horror isn't as bad as Mr. Gomer's, but all of us, I think, have been there in some way or other. Maybe um, a party that turned out to be a fancy dress party and nobody told you, or even worse, the other way around when you arrive in fancy dress. Maybe um, an exam that you revised the wrong subject for. I've definitely been there. Maybe um, a relationship that broke down when it seemed really strong. Maybe a job that didn't go the way you thought it would. So how do we deal with those times when everything isn't as we've been led to believe? When the circumstances of life crowd in, when we're feeling anxious 
and afraid, how do we cope? Well, tonight, I'm going to suggest that by getting a deeper understanding of who God is as Father and Son and Holy Spirit, we can stay standing firm even when the rug gets ripped out from underneath us. With God's help, I think tonight we're going to see that the Trinity isn't just a dry doctrine. The Trinity is a life-changing truth. So we're going to look together at this passage of Scripture from John 14, and we're going to join things right in the middle of a conversation that's already going on. I don't know if you picked that up in what Toby read. And actually, it is one of those rug-pulling moments that has just happened. We're dropped into this conversation between Jesus and the disciples on the night before he's going to die. And, and the backstory is the disciples have been following Jesus for three years. They've basically given up everything to follow him. They've left their homes, they've left their families, they've left their jobs, they've left their incomes to follow him. And in their minds, I think now, he's, Jesus is on his kind of victory lap. You know, he's just come into Jerusalem with a ticker tape parade and people proclaiming him as king. And obviously now he's about to overthrow the Roman Empire and restore the kingdom of Israel to God's people. And all the disciples are sitting there thinking, yes, we get to bask in this man's reflected glory. Problem is, Jesus has other ideas. And he gathers the disciples around him and he tells them how it's really going to go. And in this conversation, he kind of basically drops three massive truth bombs on them. He says, one, he's going to be executed. Two, one of them, one of the 12 with him, is going to betray him. And three, the closest disciple to him, Peter, is going to deny that he even knows Jesus. Talk about the rug being pulled out. Put yourself in their shoes, the disciples' shoes at this particular point. You've basically gone from hero to zero in one short passage of scripture in John's gospel. Instead of being on the winning side, you're going to be on the losing side. You're going to be a total laughing stock. You're going to be completely humiliated. You've got every right to ask. You know, all this stuff that we've given up, what's the point? What do we get out of it? So how does Jesus help them understand it? What words of reassurance does he offer the disciples? We heard it right at the beginning of the reading. I don't know if you picked it up. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. So how on earth can he say that? After basically giving the worst possible breaking news to the people gathered around him, his friends, what justification does he have for essentially saying, don't worry, you know, chill out, it's going to be okay? Well, here, I think, is is the key truth that we're going to need to grasp tonight. Jesus can't say this because he's got a great plan, although he does have a great plan. He can't say this because he's got a great promise, although he does have a great promise as well. He can only comfort the disciples in this way because of who he is. Anyone can say, never mind, don't worry, take one day at a time. But only Jesus can say, don't be troubled, 
and he can mean it because it's rooted in a fundamental truth about who he is. So what is that truth? That's what we want to unpack tonight. What is that truth? Let's look at what Jesus says next. So we've heard, don't let your heart be troubled. Hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. We don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Now, this is a really famous passage of Scripture, isn't it? And often when we hear it, we focus on the promises, you know, that Jesus is going to the Father, he's going to prepare a place for all of us. You know, we hear this often at funerals for that reason. It's a very comforting reading. We also hang on to the idea that Jesus is the way, he's the one that enables us to get here, get there. But actually, these are, these are huge claims to make. And we need to be careful not to kind of focus on the claims too much that we actually miss how Jesus anchors them. And the clue there is right there in the last verse, in verse seven that's on the screen. If you'd really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. In other words, he's not just saying that he is the way to God. He is the way to God. He's not just saying that. He's saying he is God. He is God. The New Living Translation tells us because it puts the exclamation mark there. You do know him and you have seen him. So in his response to his disciples' anxiety, Jesus, what Jesus does is to show them who he is. He directs their attention away from the world, away from their worries, away from the horrible truths that they've just been told. And he, he directs their gaze onto him. He shows them that he's not just a good guy, a prophet, a holy messenger. He shows them that he is fully and completely God. And you know, I think this claim that Jesus makes here is at the centre of everything that we believe as Christians. And yet often I don't think we really understand it. I mean, I don't think I really do in lots of ways. You know, sometimes I think we're happy with the idea that Jesus is like, the son of God, I think that's okay. But we assume that he's like a little bit of God and he's been sent from the Father and that one day when we get to heaven, we'll meet the rest of God. But I want to tell you tonight, friends, that is not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus isn't just a bit of God. He's not just one leaf on a three-leaf clover. Colossians 2 Verse 9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. All the fullness of God, not just a bit of God. And that's what he's telling the disciples here. He's saying, All this really awful stuff is going to happen, but hear me, you don't need to be afraid because I'm God, I'm with you, and I'm in control. So far, so good. Okay, this is good, this is important stuff. We're happy with it. But if you're anything like me, 
often this isn't enough. And I really relate to kind of where Philip goes next. I don't know if you got it in the passage. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied with Jesus. Having just said, you've seen the Father. He's still like, oh, that's great, Jesus. But when are you going to show us the real God? He doesn't get it, does he? And so often I know I'm like that. And I think we all can be. So Jesus explains it again. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why, why are you asking me to show him to you? Now at this point, I think we do need to be a bit kind to Philip and kind to ourselves, because let's be honest, this is it's like a total head scramble, isn't it? How can the Father and Jesus both be God? How can they be the same in a human level? It just doesn't work. And it's okay to find this confusing because we're human beings, we're practically wired, and we want to be shown the answers. But you know what? We have two choices here. Either we can just throw up our hands and say, well, you know what? God is God. I'm not. I'm never going to understand it. It's a bit nuts. Or we can trust the promise of Jesus. We can dig a little bit deeper and we can think about what he's actually saying here. Because unless we grasp more about who God really is, then just like the disciples, it makes it harder for us to trust in his promises. If we think of him as just a blob in the sky, then we have nowhere to put our hope. We can't locate it. So how on earth are we going to get our heads around this incredible relationship between Jesus and the Father then? Now, some of you probably, you've probably heard analogies used before. You might have heard the kind of water, ice and steam one. Um, you might have heard the one with the egg with like the shell and the white and the yolk um, for the kind of Holy Trinity. And you might have heard the three-leaf clover thing with Father, Son and Spirit, all sort of three different parts of it. Now, without kind of going into detail, they all sort of fall down in some ways. And they're not perfect and they kind of only get us so far. So I want to push a little bit further into this truth tonight by using an illustration, a picture that God has given us in the pages of the Bible and which exists all around us in life today. And that is the picture of marriage. Now, before we go on here, it's really important to say I am not, 100% not holding up marriage as some kind of Christian ideal. Definitely not what I'm doing. The Bible doesn't teach that, you know, if you're not married, then you're insufficient. So what I really want to say tonight is that um, it's not about kind of um, saying that if you're single or widowed or divorced or too young to be married, then you'll, you know, you're, you're falling short of an ideal that God has. But um, the Bible teaches us that we are enough in him, whoever we are. But actually, marriage is still a helpful way for us to understand a bit more about who God is. So take a brief detour with me into the Old Testament. We're going to be here for just a very short while Um, We're going to go to Deuteronomy 6, and Moses is going to be speaking to God's people. They're going to enter the promised land, and he's reminding them about a fundamental truth of who God is. And Moses says this to the people. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. And the word that Moses uses there in the the original kind of Hebrew is, is a word called echad. Echad, I think I'm saying it there. It might not have so much phlegm, but echad. Uh, The Lord is one. That's really clear, isn't it? There is only one God. 
There's only one God, not two or three gods joining forces. One God, and the Hebrew word there is Ehad. So hold that in your mind as we go even further back, right back to the very beginning, to Adam and Eve. We're going to go right back to the creation story and see how this plays out. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. It's that word again, echad. So do you see, we have this beautiful picture of two people coming together in marriage in the very same way that God himself is one. Have you ever been at a wedding where the priest or the minister says, those who God has joined together, let no one put asunder. It's that oneness, it's really important. It doesn't mean that when these two people get married, they kind of lose their individuality. They somehow don't become people anymore. I am still clearly a different person from my wife, Megan. But in our marriage, God makes us one in body, mind, and spirit. So we are still Megan and Tom, but we are also Megatom. (laughs) Which admittedly sounds a bit like a transformer. Uh, But you can only work with the names you're given, so... And it's not a perfect analogy because ultimately it's human and we are two created beings and God isn't created. God was always there from the beginning of time. But it gives us a way into understanding him. The father and son are not the same as each other, but they are one together, just like two people in a marriage. So that means Jesus can say, if you've seen me, then you've seen the father. I am fully God just as the father is fully God. So to be in the presence of Jesus is to be in the presence of the living God. But it doesn't stop there. If you thought that was good, it goes next level, I promise you. Uh, Because we get an even better deal than the disciples. Coming back to our passage from John, look at what Jesus goes on to say. You probably heard it near the end. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. You know him because he lives with you, lives with you now, and later will be in you. God isn't just Father. He isn't just Son. He is Holy Spirit. And here's the payoff. The disciples had God living with them. We get God living in us. When you accept Jesus as your saviour, when you say sorry for your selfishness, when you trust in his death to wash you clean, when you trust in his resurrection to raise you to eternal life, you also trust in the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. That was the message we heard last week at Pentecost when Richard spoke. And that is the promise that Jesus makes here, verse 20. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me and I am in you. Do you notice? It's not just him in us. It's us in him. 
So in the same way that Father, Son and Spirit have that echad, that oneness, we get to have that echad with them as well. Just like a husband and wife in a marriage, because of Jesus, we get invited up into the oneness of God. Friends, this isn't dry doctrine. This is life-changing truth. That's why Jesus can say, don't let your hearts be troubled. That's why even in the face of impossible suffering and abandonment and betrayal and loneliness and grief and denial, he can offer his cast iron reassurance. Even when the rug gets completely pulled out from under our feet, if our trust is in Jesus, then we can know, we can know with absolute cast iron certainty that the maker of the universe lives in us and we live in him and nothing else can ever touch us. So as I finish, I wonder tonight if your heart is troubled. Are you facing illness, anxiety, grief, fear? Are you worried about a situation at school, in your workplace, maybe in your marriage? Are you lonely? Are you separated from someone you love? Jesus' answer isn't a new phone or more Instagram or 10 top tips to a better life. Jesus' answer is, look at me. I am enough. This isn't dry doctrine. This is life-changing truth. And it's the only way the world makes any sense. Jesus, fully and completely God, promises through the Father's love and through the Spirit's power that he will live in you and that you will live in him. So don't let your hearts be troubled. The good God, the beautiful God, the Trinity God is not distant and unknowable. In Jesus, he comes to you tonight with the promise of himself and he invites you to be one with him. Amen.